Okay, great. Our dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we have this time to share with one another being united by your Holy Spirit. And I do pray that in this um, time of sharing that of information I'm giving, that in the hearts of those who are listening, it would be helpful, Lord, in the direction um, and wisdom and clarification in, in their planning um, as they listen to your voice. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just go grab the handout. Yep. Yeah. Okay. To everyone, remind me of names again. Christina and Matt, got your names. Uh, but for the others in the room, tell me your names again. I'm Addie. That's right. And I'm Christy. Another Christy. Yeah. I'm Caleb. Yes. I mean, I've met some of you at the retreat. I have more time to talk, but it's... It's fun to be seeing you again this way. So, all right. Uh, why don't I dive in? Um, I want to just talk about uh, as you're in the process of discernment, of ministry vocation, thinking through church planting and where you might fit in the ministry of church planting. So, um, I want to first say that although we're a diocese that has a strong emphasis on starting new churches, I don't believe that everyone uh, should be doing the work of starting a new church directly. I think we're all involved in some way just because we're in churches that are starting new churches, but I don't necessarily believe that everybody uh, just as a kind of like, oh, just an assumption that we should be like, oh, well, we're a church planting diocese, so of course you'll, you'll help in starting a new church. Uh, because um, church planting is its own unique kind of work, and we need to recognize that not everyone is, you know, suited for it. Um, but in, uh, in the work of kind of assessing for church planting, we actually even use the terminology, the right person at the right place at the right time. So even within church planting, you, it may be something that God has you do at some point, but uh, as you're discerning ministry vocation, it, church planting might not be the right time. It could be the right person, right place, but not the right time, or right person, right time, but where your thinking's not the right place. So church planting takes uh, a lot of discernment in um, thinking through that vocational calling sort of in addition to like a ministry vocation. Um, so I wanted to kind of start with, as you're in this time of doing this residency, what are some, some things to um, be even part of your discernment process of where God might be having you in ministry, uh, both now where you're at and in the future? So I wanted to start with just a couple of things of self-awareness. Um, that as you're doing your ministry roles, things that you could be paying attention to and in how it may relate to future discernment on being involved in church planting. So uh, if you are the type of person that loves uh, order and structure and systems, actually church planting may not be the kind of work for you. Um, Church planting actually needs someone who loves order and structure and systems, but needs someone who's fine without order, structure, and systems. Um, because when you start a church, you everything is in its tiny infancy, like truly in utero, baby. Um, it's not, it's maybe the seed of it is there, but it's not developed. And so um, if, if you enjoy kind of feeling like you have a place within a system and you you can kind of see what the system is and you figure out, oh, this is where I can best serve in this place. Church planning may not be, be the best fit because um, there is no system to find your place in, in church planting. It starts very organic and then it moves towards structure, but... Um, but it, it requires someone who sort of doesn't mind the mess. And uh, so it's, 
you know, it's not bad to know that you're a person who that, you know, a scenario like that would really bother you. That's fine. We need people who love order and structure and, um, and maybe it's better, that gifting is better served in a more established church. Uh, so just know in a church plan, as you become self-aware of just where, what makes you feel like you're, you're sort of getting the most done or feeling like you're contributing, um, if, if you don't mind a mess and like taking things from organic to more formal, uh, church planting may be for you. But if not, just know that that's okay too. Another sort of self-awareness um, uh, kind of something to note in your work is how flexible and adaptable you are. Um, because church planting choir requires a very high level of flexibility. Um, nothing, no week looks the same. And, it, and no week looks the same for a couple of years. So you, you have to be okay with a high degree of flexibility over a long period of time. Um, and some people thrive on that and some people don't. But like if you enjoy children's ministry uh, in a church plant setting, uh, you might be in a situation where you're doing like monthly services. Uh, one month you may have um, like six kids who have all come from Christian families. And, um, and so, like, you're, what you're doing for that group of kids, you know, might look one way. The next, very next month, you might have kids from three more families, um, and they've just bumped the ages out. Maybe instead of having, like, kids ages three to eight, you now have kids ages two to 12, and you have a family with kids who've never gone to church before. And they have no idea what, like, a children's ministry time is or how to sit through it. So, and then the next month um, in your planning, you, like, one or two families might even no longer be coming back to the church plant. And so now you're back to, like, a smaller group of kids. So the, anything you do with planning is constantly changing. Um, and you just have to be flexible and adaptable to just dive into whatever the moment holds for you. And um, so just think as you're in a discernment process on future ministry, just think through, does, does that actually make me, like bring me joy to think, oh, things are constantly changing? Or does that bring me dread? Because uh, it'll be helpful for you to know that about yourself. Um, thirdly, uh, in church planting, this is kind of a, I, it, maybe hear out my explanation. If you're a highly collaborative person, church planting might not be a good fit for you at first. Um, in a church like Church of the Resurrection or, you know, a larger church, you work on teams and oftentimes you're really working together to come up with the plan and it, which is so fun. In a church plant, you, if you're part of like the launch team, there is like a high degree where you're working together, but it's at first it's actually not as collaborative as the experience you're having right now as residents. And part of that is because the lead planter, um, uh, you know, or like lead catechist is figuring it out as they go along. And it's really oftentimes a vision starts with that lead person and they are involved in a lot of things at the beginning of a church plant and trying to figure out exactly how to implement their vision in stuff. So that, you know, church planters have sometimes been accused of being micromanagers, uh, but it's not so much that they're micromanaging as um, I was talking to one church planter recently and he said, I'm shaping as we go because I can't anticipate uh, anything. It's hard to totally know how to hand things off. And I think that really uh, captured in that beginning work of church planting, there's like an allowance for kind of letting the church planter sort of being there as like the backup team, like what do you want us to do as they figure things out? Um, 
one of the people who served with us on our church planting team uh, said, you know, Christian and Molly would get our opinions and get our ideas, and then they'd make the decision and tell us what it is. And uh, so it's a little different experience than being on a more um, structured, like, staff or ministry teams where you're making those decisions together uh, in a more collaborative way. Um, so that, if, if you love that highly collaborative approach, um, church, that's why it's, I'm like, oh, if you, if you really love being on a team, church planting is great. But if you really want your voice to be heard, uh, church planting is maybe not quite as great. Um, there's like, if you're on a team where there's another lead planter, you're kind of um, uh, maybe not fully utilizing some of your leadership gifts in all of their manifestations at the beginning of a church plant. That will grow and develop, and we need leaders in church plants, but we need leaders who are willing to kind of allow uh, their voice to be maybe heard, but not ideas not taken. Does that make sense? That one's a little more unusual. Any questions on that one? Okay. Um, then uh, I think as you are discerning um, church planting potentially as vocation, there's a couple self-leadership areas um, that I think are important in thinking about church planting. One is um, taking sort of self-leadership in your own pastoral care needs. Uh, church plants are not great places to feel pastorally cared for. Not because we have leaders over church plants that aren't pastoral shepherds. I mean, they love their flock, but it's not the place where, where in an established church you can kind of rely more on a pastoral system for pastoral care needs. As uh, a leader in a church plant setting, you're really... Um, any kind of pastoral need is is going to need to be sort of taken up on by yourself with your support network that you've created. So if you if you're the type of person that you're like, man, I've got this great support network. I have this spiritual director I talk to. I have these roommates who I pray with. I I know who to turn to in a crisis. Um, that's really good. And if you're even thinking someday I'd like to be part of a church plant, that's something to start um, putting in place now for yourself, um, making sure you have that. Because in a church plant setting, it, it's, not the, it's not coming from the church. You can't expect that from the church in those infancy stages of a church plant. Um, the other area of, of sort of self-leadership uh, to think about um, if you have, or maybe even start to cultivate it, um, is that self-leadership in inviting people. That everyone on a church planting team, so this is not just about like a lead planter, everyone on a church planting launch team has to be highly self-initiative, like they're self-initiative in meeting other people and connecting with them and connecting them to the church needs to be really high. So, um, and we we will look for evidence of that. So if you are the type of person where you've brought people to an alpha course, or you've invited them to church, or you um, have like a, you know, game night or book club or you know, exercise class that you just have started on your own and have invited people to, um, that is a great self-leadership area in a church plant. And as you would join a church planting team, um, that would be something expected of you. So if, if, there's, if you have a desire to church plant in your future, that's something to make sure that you are starting now. And really are, are right now self-aware, like, is this part, is this natural to me? Um, or can I cultivate this so it becomes easier? 
um, that would be an indicator. If, if that's the type of person you already are, then I would say really think about church planting in your future uh, for ministry vocation. Um, but it is something that can be worked on. So um, in these areas, uh, whether it's kind of a self-awareness or some self-leadership, uh, there are any questions of, of things that uh, this might have prompted as you discern future ministry vocation? Christina? Could you come a little closer to the microphone? Yeah. So I was just, when you were talking about the pastoral care question, mm -hmm. um, I was wondering, are you saying that, like, if you're, like, leader of the church plant, you need to be able to take care of your own pastoral care? Um, or, like, also if you're just, like, attending a church plant, you need to not expect the leadership to be able to handle your needs necessarily? Yeah, that's a great qualifying question. Of, of, I'm actually even thinking of it uh, not just for the, the lead planter, but um, for the entire launch team. Uh, actually, even as we do trainings for launch teams, we encourage all of them to have a kind of a pastoral care support network. Because in a church plant setting, um, it, that's very hard to have that come from that church plant. That's one of those systems that that uh, takes a little longer to grow. Um, there's so much uh, work in other areas at first that that's a hard one to um, have come from that initial church plant. So, and that's really the case of when a church plant is just getting started to even when it's starting its monthly services or weekly services, getting off the ground. So does that like, what about just like parishioners or the original people that come? Mm -hmm. Like is pastoral care usually at the beginning just whoever has the connection with them does it? Yeah, so for I'll use the example of our church Restoration Anglican, one of our church plants here in, in Minneapolis. We met with their team of people who were helping Rick and Molly stores get the church started. And um, so of that group, that was like probably 30 individuals at that time. Some had come from Church of the Cross. Some, uh, you know, had just been gathered through other connections that Rick and Molly had. And we just, we said, you know, who, who else do you have in your life who, if you have a crisis, you can turn to? You know, in an established church, if someone has a crisis, there might be like a system for getting meals for them or other really practical things. Or they, there's like a pastor to turn to for counseling advice. Um, in a church plant setting, those, those systems are not there. And actually, if the, if the church plant team is focusing too much on those things, it's, it's like it's a very difficult time in the life of a church plant to focus on like individual needs like that. So in a, a mother-daughter church setting, like Church of the Cross could then end up supplying some of that pastoral care support. Um, in a setting that like uh, Chad and Kirsten Magnuson are in, uh, they, they will need to have people be able to look to other churches or kind of other family support networks. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, it, I don't want this to come across that the church plant is uncaring. Like, people within a church plant obviously would really care for any of the needs of others who are on the team. But it, there's not the same um, kind of level of care be ability in a church plant. And we need to recognize that so we don't expect more out of a church plant than what they can really give. And it's, so that's why it's super helpful for the people coming into a church plant like launch team. And, and I'm thinking about kind of, I'm not thinking about like the maybe un, unchurched person who's getting connected to a church plant for the first time. You know, I'm thinking about people who are coming 
onto this team, you know, who've been at other churches, uh, they need to have that support network in place. They need to have been involved in a small group where people know them and they can turn to those people uh, to receive care, even if it's farther away, you know. Um, so if, if one of you were to move for like, let's say Christ Church is getting ready to start their first daughter church, you move to the Madison area, um, even having that support network and systems in place in the Wheaton area will help um, in that work then of being on the church planting team in another setting. So any other questions? Okay. Um, I want to, uh, to be able to talk about um, sort of the, you know, right now in your discernment process um, with, you know, ministry in general, if it is church planting, there needs to be a sort of a confirmation of that call and, re and sending that comes from the church. So uh, you'll discern, you'll be in like kind of self-discernment of like, what, what is God calling me to? But it also is really important, as we you know see in the book of Acts, that it was the church and then through the Holy Spirit that sent people out in ministry. Um, so the, the work of the church that you're in is really important in, to, in then that confirmation of calling you have. Uh, we, I want to look at two words that we use within uh, church plant training that then kind of helps in this understanding of like the right person, right place, right time. And that's the word origin and trajectory. Um, there's a lot written on different church models and yeah, church plants started. And I think that the word origin uh, ends up really kind of um, being like a, a larger catch-all word for some of, of of these the terms used in church planting. So, for instance, one of the terms used in church planting is parachute drop. Have you guys ever heard of that terminology? Okay. So parachute drop would be someone who uh, is sent from a church at, to another location to get a church started, somewhere where they're just like parachuting in. So Father Scott um, and Marissa Cunningham did a parachute drop. Um, the Magnusons are doing a parachute drop. Um, have you heard the terminology mother-daughter church? Mother, that one's a little bit more self-explanatory of a... Um, Typically, uh, a mother-daughter church is used to describe a church like Church of the Resurrection if you started another church like in Lombard, um, close by. But it also is terminology used even as you send someone out. So Cunningham's our daughter church of Church of the Resurrection, even though they're two hours away. Uh, so in reading church planting material, I think um, using this terminology like parachute drop, mother-daughter, gets very confusing because a mother-daughter church started in Lombard is very different than a mother-daughter church started two hours away because Cunningham's are both a parachute drop and a mother-daughter church. So it's hard to define. I, that's why I like the term origin. Um, it's thinking through what are all the things, factors that go into how a church gets started. And as you think about origin, uh, a lot of that then determines trajectory. So how, like, how, um, how quickly a church might grow in size is determined by how it got, how it's starting, its origin. Um, how quickly a church grows in size is determined by its origin in multiple ways. It's determined by um, were there a group of people leaving another church to get a new church started? Uh, was the new church getting started um, being started by somebody who is a very uh, like exceptional gatherer of people? 
or is it getting started by someone who's more methodical and slower paced in their gathering of people? All of those factors um, uh, weigh super, very heavily in the work of church planting. Um, and they all kind of produce different outcomes of what then that trajectory looks like in a church. And so in thinking about, you know, am I a church planter? Um, it, it has a lot to do with the confirmation uh, and calling it by your community because your, the origin can look just so different in so many different places. So a couple factors in like the origin of a new church starting is like, um, who are the people involved in getting something started? Uh, what, what's the context of where this new church will be? Um, and then also what, what's the, what's the vision of what it's going to look like? Um, and does, how much does that fit the people involved and the place that's happening? Do, do those things all line up? Um, I bring this up because in the discernment process, I, I would not want you to approach church planting literature uh, through this lens that it takes a very particular person to do it. Um, as I mentioned, at, you know, in self-awareness, it does take a person who's open to having things kind of be a mess, but it doesn't take like a, I don't know, a three on the Enneagram or a six on the Enneagram, or you have to be a D on disc, or you have to be a ENFJ or something on Myers-Briggs. It's that's not what helps us determine um, if someone should go into church planting. It's, it's being self-aware, understanding if you're called, but then really looking at the origin of how this church is getting started. And do these, these things, like the people involved, the place it is, the timing of it, vision for it, do they line up? Um, does it all sort of fit together and make sense um, in this kind of way where you look at it and think, oh, man, God is at work. Look at what he's brought together. Does that word origin make, uh, have any questions on that? If I use that terminology? Okay. There's like a, a specific model that you strive for in the diocese or you're really planting based on the people that you see and what they're called? Yeah, that's a great question. There isn't a specific model we strive for in the diocese um, because those origin things are so different. It's so contextualized, you know, of what is happening in this moment with this group of people for this mission's context. And so I, I'm going to next talk about some church planting models. Um, uh, and I want people to be aware of terminology because there's certain terms that get thrown out very often. But um, more and more in my work of church planting, I don't like, I don't feel like the terminology is helpful. Um, I feel like it's a very pigeonhole process um, and um, maybe even limiting in what God can do it, with a particular group of people in a particular place at the right time. So, but, um, but it's a hotly contested thing. If you read anyone's like book on church planning, they'll be like, this, these are the models of a church. No, no, these are the models. And I've given these models this name. And so, uh, yeah, it can, but I think it looks, I think it looks different. I think that all of that origin, I kind of see it as an equation, like all those components of the origins, uh, almost then have an equal sign leading, connecting it with the tra trajectory. What is, what are we, what are we building and what is it looking like in its future? Where is it going? What's happening with, with this work? Um, so some of the models, just to have those names, uh, I'll use Ed Stetzer's terminology because Ed Stetzer, who's there at Wheaton College, is sort of the current right now guru on church planting. His books are high, and blogs and, and talks are highly influential on what terminology is being used right now in the moment. 
Um, so he has uh, a terminology of a cell church. Um, that is also kind of oftentimes called a home church uh, or a missional community. Those are all pretty uh, similar names. I mean, people who have a home church will debate with someone who has a missional community on exactly what the best term is and why they chose that term. But they're, they're all relatively um, uh, similar. Then he uses the term multi-site. Uh, that term is used for like when a kind of a main campus starts another work that's connected to it. Um, he uses the term, um, and this is the one where it gets a little hard, it, it's terminology. He uses the term uh, monoethnic ethnic or multi-ethnic church, kind of an independent, standalone church. And then, fourthly, he uses the term missional commun uh, no, missional incarnational to describe a church uh, plant model of like a slower growth church um, that's very outward um, outreach focused. So he he uses that terminology um, with the cell model. Another term that's used is cell celebration, meaning like cell churches that are connected to each other. So um, greenhouse would be that cell celebration model of uh, multiple congregations forming one parish. So, um, but here's why I don't, I'll, I'll talk about why I don't like the terminology. <laughs> because, you know, for uh, Dr. Stetzer, the his use of the term missional incarnational for like a, a church that has a kind of slower start, uh, slower start meaning, you know, not holding weekly services as quickly um, and very outward focused in its outreach and, and service to the community. He has that as a model and I start to question if that's really a strategy, not so much a model, but a strategy because of our current culture, and especially in places that um, are more underchurched than other areas, it church planting, the work of church planting is taking longer now than it did 20 years ago to get a church started um, in some areas. It's taking more intentional focus on meeting the felt needs of community. So, so I start to think, is that part of the strategy that is in that uh, trajectory side of the equation. Um, and then when you think about multi-site and so like cell celebration, um, like the greenhouse model, those may look different in size, but they're pretty similar in their governance structure. Um, they're pretty similar in finances. Uh, that's kind of a terminology where you have multiple congregations linked to each other um, in ways that they have a lot of shared uh, resources. So like in a multi-site church, you may have a pastoral preaching team that then is shared in multiple congregations. Um, you might have that uh, with congregations the size of 100 people, but you might have that with congregations of the size of like 40 people in each congregation. Um, in 40 people congregations, it might more be termed cell and uh, hundred people congregations might be termed more multi-site, but they have a lot of similarities and overlap in their governance structures. Um, so this is where I kind of have landed I like to think of churches kind of fitting into two kinds, two, two categories, both being very broad. So uh, when you asked Daddy about is there a certain model that we use, no, I don't think that there's a certain model, but I do think that generally churches fit into the category of like a church um, being started from its beginning where it knows it's going to be linked to other congregations like uh, our greenhouse um, uh, brothers and sisters, or like a multi-site 
they know from the beginning of that start that they're going to be linked uh, with kind of over a long period of time. Um, just so you know, in the Anglican world, people like using the term minster, minster model. Has anyone heard that terminology? Okay. Uh, so it, it's one of those great English words, but uh, it, within the Anglican Church in North America, you'll sometimes hear churches that are linked together uh, as minster as well. So multi-site, minster, cell celebration, they're all churches that are uh, something new is getting started that has maintains connections with another church over a long period of time, right from its beginning. It's in its origin. And that actually has some determinants then in its trajectory. On the other hand, you have churches that are, I, I, don't, I can't figure out a word for this because I don't like the word autonomous because we're all in a diocese. It's not like we're, anyone is ever truly autonomous, but in getting something started, uh, there may be like an autonomous church where they know from the beginning uh, we're, we're going to sort of be our own church. We're not going to share the same vestry with another church. We're not going to uh, share the same budget with another church. Or um, So for Church of the Cross in Minnesota, our two daughter churches were started um, and are autonomous churches. Uh, you know, we... Church, Restoration Anglican, um, although we shared some things at the beginning as they were getting started, uh, they knew from the very beginning uh, we're going to be our own kind of independent church with our own budget. Um, Christian didn't swap preaching with Rick, you know, pulpit exchange every other week. You know, it's really its, its own thing. Um, and I think that's important to know of where you're going with that because Depending on who you are as a person, those kinds of churches uh, have attract different leadership gifts. And so uh, if you are, you know, working with the church to start like a site, a multi-site, um, and uh, your leadership gifts are, are kind of in developing leaders and replicating something in another area, like that might be a perfect gifting to use in a multi-site in an easier way than like an autonomous church. Or autonomous church, you're having to kind of more think, think of things creatively from the beginning, not necessarily relying on something that's already been done. So that's why I'm, I'm spending a little time on this because it's even then will come up in the discernment process of where God might be leading you. Um, and then lastly, for discernment, um, uh, in models and different kinds of churches, uh, size really matters. And for U.S. leaders in thinking through um, just the type of person you are and then how you might be led to lead in different size churches. So uh, on church, you know, in church growth books, they term the size of like a 40 to 60 person church as a family size church. Uh, a church that grows uh, over 80, but sort of lands more in that like a hundred person church is, uh, or even to 150 is termed a pastoral size church. And then a church that uh, moves past 200 people is oftentimes called a program size church. And um, those churches all have very different personalities. And not, one is not better than the other. All of those different sized churches are very good at reproducing and, and starting new churches. Um, size uh, does, not mat, does not, you know, make for a better uh, church to plant other churches. But... Um, but even thinking about kind of the context that God might be calling you into, uh, those sizes, um, you know, if you're in a rural setting, you might find yourself in a family-sized church just because of the number of people in the setting that you're in. But it could be that 
if you're in an urban context and really reaching a particular people group, you might be in a family-sized church because of the setting. Um, so just even be aware as, as you're serving right now in the context you're serving in, do you enjoy sort of that place where like a family-sized setting is where sort of everybody knows each other and they know each other's business, which is great. It also has some like conflict management, conflict resolution skills required in that size setting. Um, and that could just be your niche. That pastoral size setting is really good for the people who um, want to kind of maintain a touch point with everyone. They don't like it when they kind of don't have an awareness like pastoral shepherding wise if they don't know what's happening in people's lives. Um, that's a great uh, quality about someone as a leader and that might be like the sweet spot uh, for someone to lead in that particular size. Or like the program size church, the sweet spot of that might be if you really enjoy starting programs and then uh, starting something, passing it on, and then starting the next kind of program, that's a great size to do that in. Um, so I think that as we think about uh, origin and trajectory, it's more important to think about the kinds of churches and the sizes of churches that God might be bringing us into um, with our just our gift mix, our personality, um, our past experiences and what God may be leading you into in the future. Any questions on, on those things? Could you repeat the, uh, uh, so the difference between origin and trajectory? Yeah, so or, origin is maybe all those factors at the beginning of something that's getting started. Trajectory is, is really, where is it heading? So uh, trajectory would get into like these um, uh, different kinds and size issues. So if it's heading to be an independent autonomous church, that's part of its trajectory. And there's a lot of, of determinants in that. Or if it, part of the trajectory is knowing in this location where we're planting this church, a church, at, uh, this location and who's who's the leader this church would be a really great size of about 150 people that trajectory of where it's going is pretty important in then making decisions and strategies that help? Uh, any other questions about this information Thanks. How much would you say something like church size can be like part of the trajectory, like something you think you're heading toward at the outset? Yeah, I think that um, it's helpful uh, to have a, maybe an ideal in mind at the outset. Obviously, um, as with any work of the Lord, there's a lot of unpredictable factors. But why I think it's helpful to have that size in mind at the outset is that it, it then kind of helps you know um, what, uh, like what to make plans for in the future. In our diocese, we want every church to see themselves as a reproducing church. So we want a church to get started that knows in its future it's going to start other church churches. Um, if you know from the beginning, wow, with this group of people that I see as kind of my mission field, that that 40 to 60 person size would really be ideal for connecting with this community and meeting their needs, that's helpful to know because then you also are realizing, man, when you get to be about 25 people, even 30, you can start thinking through what your next church plant is going to be. So um, you'll have a much faster reproducing cycle in that size church 
than you do in churches of that pastoral or program size. And so then it then you're starting to think trajectory like, oh man, for this this group that God area that God's calling us to, we see this size as ideal of like I'll I'll keep going with the 40 person size. We see this size as ideal. That means that we're going to be starting another church maybe earlier. Um, and we know that we want to be linked with churches linked together. So that that then is part of your trajectory of like, how do you raise up leaders that are going to stay connected with the church that you've just started? Or maybe you as the leaders know that you're going to be starting multiple churches in an area, and so you're raising up um, kind of pastoral shepherds over each you know, family size congregation. So do you see the, how that fits in with that? Um, yeah, I was just wondering, how, how does a church plant, like a, a, you have a team that goes out, let's say, um, what does it look like in terms of building the church? Like I, I sometimes have a hard time imagining like art is, I'm sure it changes for every team, but is the team like going out and, and finding people on a given day or yeah, what's yeah. Oh, that's a great question because all of these different kind two kinds of churches and all of these different sizes, they all start in really similar way. They've um they there's um there's a number of systems that need to be developed in a church no matter what size church it's going to be. So every size church is going to need some administrative system. It's going to be need to have some way of keeping uh, records of who their contacts are. It's going to need to have some way to keep track of money. Or every church is going to need some type of communication system. But the thing that every church needs at the very beginning is a connecting system. And so on a church planting team, has to be very highly involved in building that connecting system from the ground up. Um, and that literally starts with just what the word implies, connecting. Everyone being involved in the work of meeting new people and connecting them to the ministry of the church in some way. So um, when we started Church of the Cross uh, in Minneapolis here, we had two family units move with us. Um, and one family, they were very good at connecting. Uh, they just naturally told everybody about how they were involved in a new, the start of a new church. And so as the church got started, you know, people from their daughter's dance class came and visited the church. People from their school came and visited. Like, they were always connecting. Um, some the other family uh, was very helpful in any task we gave them. They were willing to help do it. You know, they were they were there to be supportive, but they didn't help in building and connecting at all. No families came to the church through their work, um, and so it was it was great to have them, but it it. But it would have been all the better if we had worked with them on helping them learn to connect with others who could be attending Church of the Cross. So um, and there's, I think of these systems in a church like in utero, a baby in utero, the nervous system is the very first system to develop in a baby. And then it's the longest system uh, that it takes the longest to fully develop before a baby's born. And I think of the connecting system that way. Um, so, so that's on a, if you're on a, a church planting team, there's lots of jobs that need to be done. There's lots of things to check off a list, like, oh, getting a PO box, you know, so that there's a place for the mail to come, you know, things like that. But mo the most important work then is in establishing connections with those in the community um, and finding, finding opportunities and ways for them to 
become connected with the start of this new church. Uh, one more question. Yeah. Oh, I can't promise it's just one more, but... Um, yeah, no, no, that's great. Uh, what if a value of a church plant is to be multi-ethnic? Like, what are, yeah. what are, what's something in the genetic makeup, so to speak, that is uh, crucial to that actually happening? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think uh, you've got the resource of Trevor McMacken, which is great to ask uh, of him as, as they've always had a heart for multi-ethnic. But I think that really goes back to that origin side of the equation. Um, you, you kind of become what you already are. And if you are not multi-ethnic from the beginning, from the people, involved in the work, it's very hard then for that trajectory to become a multi-ethnic church. Uh, so if it takes longer to find the right people to form um, an initial team that's multi-ethnic, uh, I'd say make sure to take that time. Know that that's part of the work of starting the church is to spend the time in making sure that that um, origin of who you're starting with, you've got the right people that will match the place that the Lord is sending you and at the right time. So the timing of that may take longer if you're, wait, if you're gathering the right people. Who knows? Might, it might already come together really quickly, but um, does that make sense? That kind of, that, that's why I feel so strongly about like really thinking through the origin of a church because that's so highly determinative in then the trajectory that it's going. Okay, any other questions? Yeah. Um, back to the um, like systems, building systems from the beginning. Uh, at the beginning, you quoted one pastor who said, like, I can't hand things off because everything's changing. So, yeah. like, how do you develop systems with that dynamic of I kind of have to do everything at the beginning? Yeah. Um, that is, uh, that's probably the most complicated um, dynamic for the lead church planter. And I use the term lead church planter because depending on the type of church, that person could be an ordained minister, that person could be a lay catechist, but, but I do think it's helpful to have one person being the kind of main initiator, driver, um, even as there's a team working together to get a church started. Um, but uh, it's why I think that that lead person needs a coach uh, right from the beginning because it it really it takes a lot of finesse to know when am I handing something off too quickly or when am I holding on to it too long or um, when am I when am I trying to control something that I don't need to control or or when am I acquiescing and I actually need to have my voice speak into it. Um, when uh, Christian and I started Church of the Cross, uh, we had, uh, we made um, uh, kind of a vow that we would have two nights a week that we were not doing church planting work, which meant that five nights a week we were involved in the work of church planting. And now we structured our days in such a way that we, we it's not like we worked from eight in the morning through like you know, 10 o'clock at night, but, but we were involved at first in almost any kind of, like the, or as the system got started and thinking through what's the vision of our discipleship? What's the vision for our um, discipleship, particularly to children? What's our vision for, you know, this system of, um, of our worship experience? Uh, Christian was involved at the beginning of all those initial things and, and had to be, in a sense. Um, that's why church planting at the beginning is really time-consuming for that, that 
lead person and why they need a coach also to even help them balance their time so that they're not, they're not getting burnt out. So um, with everybody else on the team, like if you're not the lead person, you're, you might also be at all five of those meetings <laughs> that I just talked about because sort of everybody is involved in everything at the beginning of a church plant. Um, uh, if you, if, particularly if you're kind of helping in a sort of a missions staff role. So like Caitlin um, at Christ Church, um, I mean, she moved there once they'd already gotten launched. Uh, so she, it's not like she was having to be involved in everything, but, but I, my guess, I haven't talked with her recently, my guess is that she still finds herself involved in a lot of things right now. Um, because it, obviously systems in a church are not silos. Uh, systems overlap and connect with each other. And so at the beginning of a church plant, it's like everything is like that's all together, tangled together. And so um, people involved even on that initial team are at a lot of things together. Does that help? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Keep, I mean, keep asking questions. I love this. I, I, this is very good. Well, as you're, as you're describing uh, the experience of somebody who's in a church plant, I'm realizing like, oh, actually, this kind of sounds like doing ministry during COVID season. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're, all of our ministries have just been so off the cuff. You know, we go into, yeah. ah, well, we'll just do the best. We'll do as much as we can, the best we can. And it's not yes. And that, those kinds of stressors have, uh, have, I think, probably given us all a taste of what church planting might look like. Um, yes. My wife, Christina, and I, we've, we've kind of, you know, when, when we first started, um, so I'm, I just started Gregory House this year. And yeah. We've been on staff for a year when things were normal. And, and during the season, this uh, COVID time, we've, we've tried to create some disciplines. Um, yeah and create a little bit of distance between us and our, and our work and kind of have yeah. uh, time together. Um, what kind of like, you know, what kind of advice do you give to uh, early church planters in terms of, cre uh, of, of ensuring like family time and, and things yeah. like that and uh, not making sure that church planting, uh, while it keeps you busy, doesn't consume every aspect of your life? What are some principles? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And um just know that a lot of your questions have been what I was going to talk about. So I'm like, oh, this is perfect. It's in the form of answering question. But um, that's a great, great question to end with. Um, and it really goes back to that sort of self-leadership and the care. Um, we found that having, we have a sort of a family mission statement. Um, and I would encourage you, whether you are married or um I have a single vocation right now. You have a mission statement for your family uh, life. Um, something that kind of grounds you in what do you want to make sure is happening within your life um, that work, your work, your vocation and ministry obviously will fit in, but it even goes beyond that. Um, we had, we determined some values we wanted to have our family always hold. And in our busiest seasons, we kind of assess, it, are we, is this value just sort of getting thrown by the wayside or, or is this um, still being upheld? Uh, that was really helpful because in church planting, there will be uh, more intense seasons of ministry than others where even the best intentions about kind of having time uh, sort of a work-life balance are, are just not happening as much. Um, and even in those more intense times, you want to make sure that what you value and your mission of, as a family is not being deterred. Um, I think that, that church planters have a hard time looking at their life. You know, like it's very easy to look at ministry life uh, you're getting a great taste of it in an established church where you understand it's not a nine-to-five job. Um, but at the same time, it, there is kind of a, a normally a typical work week. 
I think what you said, Matt, about COVID is so true. Like, that COVID has made every church kind of experience a church planting scenario. Um, so something that church planters and people on the team need to understand, like, you will have, you're, you will kind of have to figure out what your work time is, and it looks different than a, a, like a pastor in a, another church setting. So like, you go to the grocery store, you end up having like a, um, I don't know, 10-minute conversation with someone in the grocery store that, um, you know, you end up being able to pass out like a business card about the church. Like, that was work time. For anyone who's on the team, that's work time. Or like, you, you move to a new area, you get a gym membership, you're there at the gym consistently saying the, seeing the same people, building relationships with them. In a sense, that's work time. So, like, church planters need to, first, I think the hardest thing about church planting is they need to understand sort of how all-encompassing their work takes them. So, like, uh, I'll especially see this with spouses. Like, uh, you know, a church planter might, let's say, be a guy. Um, he's married. His wife is involved in this um, you know, book club or something, her connecting that she's doing in that book club actually counts for towards his hours if he sort of wants to count hours because it, it kind of all adds up to their ministry work. So if he's, um, like, it, it just counts. Um, I, what we did uh, as we got started is that we had a, a weekly meeting. We called them our comité meetings. We had a weekly meeting on Monday morning where we kind of mapped out what our schedule looked like for the week and then, and then found hours within the week that were sort of our rest, our Sabbath hours. Sometimes we could actually have a whole day that way. Other times we had to take a morning one day and then afternoon another day. But that weekly um, that weekly meeting we had, our weekly comité time, was hugely helpful in that because, as I said, every week changed. Um, and then even as we mapped out things on a Monday morning, sometimes by Wednesday we needed to remap things out. Like, oh, we were supposed to have our Sabbath time this morning, and instead this couple called us saying that they heard about our new church plant and wanted to get together. You know, it, it, that's where I'm saying it has to remain so highly flexible. Um, so we did our weekly comité. We also did um, uh, a weekly prayer time where uh, that was like, you know, that, that happened even if, it, you know, it would happen supposedly some evening, even if it got pushed to like 10 o'clock at night because we ended up having something else. Like it was something we just always did. So, uh, you just, does that help? I mean, it's, I, in a sometimes church, I'll, I'll explain it, like, sometimes budget for their church plant, and they should. But we talk about how budgets need to be reviewed, like, every three months, um, because things are changing so quickly in a church plant. Um, that's not what an established church does. An established church makes a yearly budget. Uh, that's the same way then for scheduling um, on a church plant team. You basically, instead of making a schedule for your month, you're looking at making a schedule for your week. Does that help? Okay. Um, I I want I guess I want to end our time. Or when do you end? Do you end at noon? At noon? Oh, at twelve thirty. Oh. I thought you ended at noon. Well, you're going to end earlier than 12.30 today, and it sounds like you can all get outside and enjoy the weather. Um, I, I want to leave you with um, that uh, church planting is really fun. It's really hard work, but it's, one, it's that type of hard work that you just feel like, oh, my goodness, this was so worth it. 
Um, but church planting is not fun if, if it's not the right place or the right time for you. And, and serving God in another way um, then is also joyful. So, uh, so even more than church planting, um, having the church worth with, work with you to determine kind of the right, the right thing for you in your sweet spot that's really what brings then the most joy in serving the Lord. And it's such a privilege that in his body, there is that um, place for each of us that will bring us joy and connection and um, in ministering to others through him. Doesn't maybe even, might not even be the church in your future in that setting, but, but God has that place for each of us. Um, in our service to him and in in the hours of our day being used for his glory. So uh, if you do have further questions for me about church planting, like um, specifics to even kind of who you are, like this is what I enjoy doing. Do you see any place uh, for this working in a church plant? Like, please reach out to me. I'll, I could even say right now, we if you are open to sharing it in a group setting, we have time. Um, but also please reach out to me. Uh, I, if I can be of help in any way and, and um, having you feel like it, you're in your sweet spot, um, I want to be able to do that. So I guess since we have the time, since I thought end at noon and it's 1230, any, any last questions? Okay. Well, let me, let me pray for all of you as we end then. Uh, Lord, we just are thankful that um, you work through your church and that we all get to be a part of it. That everyone from the tiniest member, newest member of your church body to our oldest member, um, those with every ability, Lord, uh, have a place within your body. Uh, I'm also just so thankful that you gift each of us um, so that there, there's the necessity of reliance on each other. I do pray in this ministry residency experience for all of this group that they would have uh, the sense that they've been brought together at this moment um, in this place for you to reveal more of yourself to them and for them to have a greater understanding of who you've made them to be. We just thank you, Lord, uh, for how divine and sovereign uh, you show yourself to be. And we are so glad to be able to trust you with all areas of our life. Lord, we thank you for just your graciousness to us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, it was great to be with you, and um, I I look forward to when we can actually be together in person again, uh, Minnesota, Illinois, everyone being able to be in the same place at the same time. So, blessings on your Advent and Christmas tide. Yeah, thanks. Bye bye.